Welcome to the Daily Real Estate Investor Podcast. I'm your host, Josiah Smelser. The Daily Real Estate Investor Podcast is the shared journey of building a real estate investment property business from square one. Join me as we learn together how to conquer the real estate game to reach financial freedom. Together, we will learn from people in all areas of real estate and business in our personal trek towards escaping the rat race. Be you. Do the work you love. Play the long game. Before we get started, I wanted to ask that you check out my book, Dream It and Build It, How to Crush Your Real Estate Investing Goals. The book was written to document my process of building my investment portfolio from square one, and I think this could really benefit you as well. The book has gotten five-star reviews so far, which I'm really proud of. You can find the book on Amazon in either physical or Kindle format, as well as any other book retailer. Check it out. What's up, ladies and gents? I've got another great episode of the Daily Real Estate Investor Podcast for you today. I've got Kara Beckman on the show. Kara's out of Scottsdale, Arizona, and she is killing it with design. I mean, these flips she's doing are beautiful. You need to go check out her Instagram to see these projects that she's working on. She's also got a rental property portfolio, but she's doing her real estate hustle full-time now, left her nine to five. And I'm always interested in these stories of people taking the entrepreneurial jump um, from the nine to five world into something they're passionate about. And um, Kara is no exception to um, these stories being inspiring. So I know you're going to get a lot of great value out of this. I know there are people out there right now that are feeling stuck with their jobs. You're feeling like when you go into work every day, your heart's not completely in it and you're daydreaming about doing something else. And I would encourage you to consider starting your side hustle and keeping a job where you can make money in the in the meantime and getting that side hustle going with the goal that your cash flow and profit from your side hustle will eventually be able to allow you to get out of that nine to five job. Start now. You don't have to know everything. But when you've got income, it's a great time to go ahead and start your side hustle. So if you're wanting to invest, start investing. If you're wanting to build your own design company, you know, start, start advertising. You know, if you're wanting to build your own appraisal business, like start figuring out how to get training on that side while keeping this other thing going. So there's so many different options. But the thing you got to know is that if you feel stuck, you've got options. The only thing that's going to really get you off of that stuck spot is your mindset. You just got to change your mindset and that'll make all the difference. So uh, I know this episode with Kara is going to really inspire you. So let's dive in. Hey, everybody. I'm excited to be back for another episode of the Daily Real Estate Investor Podcast. Today, I've got an awesome guest. I've got Kara Beckman who is doing some really cool stuff in real estate. She's doing some flips. I told her she needs to be on HGTV because her stuff is is uh, really impressive. I mean, we're I'm talking like this stuff looks awesome. So y'all got to go check out Kara on Instagram for sure. Kara, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm excited. So um, before we get started, I know people are going to want to connect with you on Instagram because your Instagram's awesome. T- so tell us where they can find you on Instagram. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's Beckman House, Beckman with two N's. And we're always posting our before and afters, some progress shots. So trying to keep you guys um, along the ride throughout the progress. Yeah, so yeah. It's fun. 
Well, my hat's off to you. I need to get you involved in, in our flips because ours don't look nearly <laughs> as good as yours do. Um, but so let's talk about, you know, where you guys are located, what you're currently doing in real estate and like, how did you get into real estate in the first place? Yeah. So I'm in Scottsdale, Arizona, and primarily all of our fix and flips are usually in Scottsdale. Sometimes we'll do a Phoenix fix and flip, but I like to stay within these little pockets that I'm familiar with. I do fix and flips, I do buy and holds, and I do a lot of design work for clients as well. And it's funny, I got started, um, I didn't know anyone in real estate when I basically just dove in and taught myself everything. I love being creative and I really needed a creative outlet. And super long story short, I ended up quitting my day job and completely diving into real estate and to this day, I, I'm very hands-on, and I think you can learn so much by asking questions, being on the job site, listening to podcasts. There's a lot of information out there if you're willing to do the work and find it. Yeah, I love that. So what were you doing previous to quitting the 9 to 5? Well, previous, I was working the 9 to 5. Mm -hmm. um, I was in retail. I was a retail, one of the managers um, at a luxury retail store. Okay. And I just got to the point where I could not be in that same position mm -hmm. in another year. Yeah. So previously, my my background is actually in patisserie and baking. So okay. I'm a trained pastry chef. And the dream years ago was to open up my own bakery. Very and cool. so I've always thought um, saving money is very, very important. And that's another reason why I was able to uh, start my business. But yeah. I think as any investor, I it's almost like a financial roller coaster. So if you don't know how to manage your money, it will be a very tough ride. Yeah, absolutely. So Scottsdale, that's um that's a really hot market right now, isn't it? Yeah. 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 No I pun had, intended. Yeah, yeah, really hot in, <laughs> in more than one way. Um I had a guy on my show, I believe he was his name is George Mevawala. Do you know him? I don't know him. Okay. He owns Vacation Rentals. I want to say they're in Scottsdale and they're doing really well. So I, I believe he's in Scottsdale if I'm remembering correctly. But so what was the transition like going from your nine to five to doing this full time? So for a good year, I was working my nine to five. I was using that to basically fund my side hustle. So because I was working a nine to five, I could get mortgages on these properties. So I would use cash for the down payment, cash for the rehab and take mortgages out on them. And I was just continuing that process. I also got a, a rental property during that time. So that was my first rental. I still have it to this day. It's a great rental for me. And that's basically how I started. I think there's a lot to be said of using your day job to fund your side hustle. There's nothing wrong with working, you know, essentially two jobs until you can make one work full time. Yeah, absolutely. I, and that's a that's a really great point because like I left my 9 to 5 a couple years ago and I started my own real estate investment business as well as my own appraisal business. My appraisal business is my bread and butter income right now. If I didn't have that income, I would not have been able to build my investment portfolio to where I have it today. So I think some people think that to do real estate investing, you have to you know burn the boats and quit your nine to five and only do real estate investing. It's extremely <laughs> challenging 
to really build your investment portfolio while only doing real estate investing because you don't have that income coming in. And it also complicates being able to finance properties. You can certainly do it without bank financing, traditional conventional financing and stuff. But when you have income coming in from a job, you're able to get financing easily on the traditional route as well as these other alternative options. And then you can go invest your excess capital in buying properties and building your your side hustle it allows you to do it in a way that's much lower risk, which to me gives you a much greater chance of success. And really, the, I mean, the strategy in my eyes is do that until your side hustle is producing enough income. You don't need the day job anymore, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, and this is exactly what, I mean, this is, I, I wouldn't have made the jump if I didn't have the appraisal income there for me, which mm-hmm. was essentially like substituting my nine to five for another income producing job I could do while also doing this investment property stuff. So right. Um, so you said you were working in, was it some kind of luxury retail before? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, that's funny because your your flips looks, they're, they look so aesthetically a- appealing. Did you, was there any uh, application from the luxury retail space you were in to what you're doing now? Because you certainly have an eye for design. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. You know, I really think it just, that's the creativity. And that's why I enjoy flipping houses because every house I can do a different design style. I love trying new things. And I personally think that at any price point, any level, that home should feel unique and special and you can do so on a budget, but I, that's where I have a lot of fun. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, okay. Well, so tell us, I know you're doing flips right now. Tell us about your, your own investment property portfolio, what your day-to-day activity looks like, and I guess what your goals are. So I just sold my last flip not too long ago. And currently I'm so busy with design clients. So working on a number of full house remodels for our clients. Some of them are out of state and they purchased these homes and haven't even seen them. And we're getting ready to do full gut remodels. So that's fun. And um, so it's great to have a balance because I can use the income coming in from my design projects to then fund uh, a new flip or a new buy and hold property. But I currently have five rentals. One of those rentals is a duplex that's rented out now, but it's zoned for nine units. So I'm super excited. That will be my first small development project and we'll definitely max it out at nine units. So that will be fun. And uh, currently putting in some offers and taking on, hopefully taking on other flips. Like you said, our market is so hot right now. So things don't last, which is good if you're if you're a seller, but it's yeah. been a little tricky for investors. Yeah. So. so cool. So you're doing, not only doing design and handling your own flips, you're doing design for other people and helping them do the same thing you're doing, essentially just they're just hiring you out as kind of um, kind of their their strategist on what they're what they're doing at the rehab. Is that correct? Yeah, these are houses that they're keeping, so yeah. I'm. It's not. Yeah. Yeah. So, so they're their are you personal homes. are you assisting them in finding the properties to begin with, or are you just coming in after they've already purchased? Usually, I come in after they've purchased. Some of them, especially now, we're so busy right now because everyone's kind of been stuck in their homes and they're realizing. I have not liked this kitchen for five years. It's time to renovate it. And we're getting a lot of that too. So did, did you start your own design 
company? Or are you just kind of doing this because people know you're awesome at it or what? <laughs> yeah, I never, ever intended on taking on design clients when mm -hmm. I started Beckman House. It really was just for my own investments. And um, through Instagram, people started contacting me and asking me to help them with design. And for a while, I said no, because I was just interested in my own portfolio. Mm. And then I thought, why not? I really enjoy this. And then it just really took off yeah. over the last year and a half or so. That's crazy. Wow. Well, yeah, I, I certainly think you've tapped into something there because, yeah, you're, you're definitely gifted and talented at that. So um, that, that's awesome. Kudos to you for, for the entrepreneurial move there of, of building that out. Cause yeah, it's funny how, when you start your own side hustle, you'll, you'll kind of uncover these little things that you're like, well, I, I knew that I was interested in this and kind of tinkering around with this, but I didn't know that people would also want to hire me to do this, you know? Cause like I'm an appraiser. So I now, and, and, you know, when I was on bigger pockets, they talked about, me doing appraisal. So I started getting a lot of appraisal questions. Now I'm getting people hiring me to help them figure out value, how to fix up their house to add the most value, consulting stuff. And it's like, I never thought about trying to monetize really that aspect of what I was doing, right. but it's kind of similar to what you're doing with the design thing. So that's really awesome. Um, so what are your goals with your own portfolio? Like, what are you trying to, what are you trying to accomplish? And do you, are you, are you trying to build the design business at the same time or is there a portfolio number you want uh, flip goals yeah. or what are you trying to do? Yeah, I definitely have a few goals, but again, it kind of goes back to the real estate investing. My main goal is to build up my rental portfolio. So I think it's so, I love fix and flips. I'll probably always do them here and there, but um, at the bigger cop, bigger pockets conference, someone said something and it really resonated with me. It said, you can have 10 fix and flips one year and make a great amount of money. But if you kept those same 10 flips 10 years down the road, they would be worth so much more. Mm -hmm. And I thought that is so true. So I'm thankful that I have kept rental properties, uh, throughout this, uh, throughout the past few years. So now I'm really honing in on building more and more. So using fix and flip money, to put down payments on uh, buy and hold properties as well. Yeah. And then um, I think the design business, it, it's always fun. It, it, again, it's nice to have income coming in to fund other projects. So I'll probably always have a little bit of the design, but my passion is so much in the investing side of it right now. That's awesome. Yeah. You, there's probably, there's so many different ways you could use that design talent you have. Like you could, you could almost, team up with like a wholesaler or something, buy it from them, go in there and do your design piece. And then just do almost, almost do like a, a turnkey offering on the back end to people, to people that want to have these investment properties that look like, you know, amazing and that kind of thing. There's so many different ways, but yeah, this is, this is really cool. So yeah, I've, I've always thought the same thing, right? The, the wealthy real estate investors that I've observed hold properties for a long time. And then you can make a lot of money flipping, but the question is, where's the money going after it goes back into your bank account? And it's easy if you're not really watching out to take that money and just spend it and just, it just disappears. Right. And then you're like, Whoa, I, I flipped five houses this year and made 150,000. And like, what did I do with all the money? You know what I mean? So I think what you're doing is really wise. So what's the strategy there is like, do one flip buy one rental or like, how are you approaching that? You know, it kind of depends. Like the, again, the market is so hot right now. So I have my feelers out for rental properties. I have my feelers out for flips and really whatever comes in, I don't want to have tunnel vision on. So 
you know, I think once you're, if you're only looking for rentals, you can definitely miss some flip opportunities. So just kind of keeping my searches out for both right now and happy to take on both if they come my way. Yeah. Yeah. So what's the average, I mean, what's, what's the, what's the normal margin you, you would make on a flip there? Is it like, what's the purchase price, the average purchase price in your market? And then what's the margin look like? And what could you on average clear per flip in Scottsdale? So on average, um, entering in, in the mid four hundred thousands, um, depending on the home, usually their total guts and we're putting in anywhere from 80 to a hundred thousand exit price in the mid six. Okay. So would you say you're clearing, you know, 60 to 80,000 profit a deal or that's a good deal. Yeah. 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 Okay. That would, that's a good deal. So we'll say 60. And what kind on the rental side, what's your average purchase price looking like and what are average rents and that kind of thing? So rentals, I try to keep them lower because mm-hmm. I have mortgages on those. So yeah. my rents, my uh, rental purchase prices are in the mid threes. Mm-hmm. Those are getting harder to find though. Um, they're just getting any, anything in the threes right now is selling so fast, mm-hmm. but the ones I have are in the mid threes and rents are anywhere between 1800 to 2,500. Mm-hmm. Okay. depending on the location. And then are you on your rentals, are you buying those distressed from a wholesaler or off market or something? Or are you just buying those off the MLS and putting 20% down or what's your strategy there? A little bit of both. So um, one of them I purchased when I was working at my full-time job that was in um, by ASU, one of our big universities. So that's just a fantastic rental. The, the equity has increased every year on that one. That one still has the original mortgage on it. The second um, rental property I bought with the Burr strategy. So I had enough cash, bought that cash, rehabbed it. That was an off-market property. That was that came to me word of mouth and completely renovated it, refinanced it, pulled that cash out, turned that right into another rental property that needed a little bit of work, uh, updated both of the bathrooms and the kitchens, pretty much left everything else, got a renter in place and, um, refinance that, use that money to buy the duplex, uh, bought the duplex cash refinancing out of that currently use that cash and I'll get another rental property. Nice. Nice. So we've talked about this in the past, but what you're observing is like taking this cash and then refining and using again, is like the velocity of money. Like how fast can you take your money your profit and your money out of one deal, repurpose it into another deal, which allows you to bring in more cash flow, repurpose the cash flow again. And the the trick is using that money over and over and over to do a number of deals and the velocity of money being uh, something that will help you along. And this is something I was talking to my business partner about yesterday. It's easy to get to get a little portfolio of properties and say you have 30% equity in everything. Well, if you're only required to have 20% equity, you've got 10% sitting in there locked into those properties that could be repurposed for more deals, right? And it's easy to sit and not even think about that. But that 10%, you know, if you've got a million dollars in equity um, and uh, let's say say you've got $3 million in equity and you only have to have 20%. So, you know, 2 million is required. You could take that extra million out and go get maybe five more rental properties or something and do the burst strategy and just keep turning that money over and over and over. And that's what I see um, a lot of, you know, really successful investors long-term doing. They do that with small properties and large, you know, thinking about apartment complexes that's happening on your refi, like three to five years in refi, 
pay your investors back, take the extra capital, distribute it to the general partners, and then go invest it in more mm -hmm. deals, right? So um, I love that that you did that in this process. So um, have you considered doing design work for apartment owners? It's always an option. I've done design work <laughs> we might for have commercial to, buildings. I'm so. <laughs> yeah, I'm kicking around the idea of trying to build some apartments. I might have to um, to get you to be the designer on some of that stuff because I think that'd be awesome. So yeah, that'd be very cool. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Very cool. Well, so um, so long term, you said you're shooting for 10, 10 properties next, or ten properties this year. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So definitely, we're we're getting close. So yeah, that's my goal for the end of the year. So still looking for multifamilies. Yeah, sweet. Uh, multifamily complexes. Yeah. Sweet. So what's after you hit the ten goal? What's what's next? What's your what's your three to five year? Uh, bigger developments. Okay. So yeah, it's always kind of stepping it up, stepping it up. So start small with this nine unit, see how that goes, and then continue to scale up. But I love the idea of having. I mean, essentially, it's you're it's the same amount of work. So exactly. instead of one door, you have 10 doors. Exactly. Um, yeah. So that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just because this is what I'm going through right now, we have 20 properties. Um, we're move I'm moving from one to four family to multifamily. And, you know, I've started the other part. This is going to be on the Daily Real Estate Investor podcast. Started the Multifamily Mavericks podcast because I'm trying to specifically focus on investing in multifamily. And I've, I'm learning that there is like a jump you make, you know, from the one to four family into the multifamily space. But once you're there, it's kind of a small crowd and like people doing deals or like you're sharing deals with each other and all that. And it's like really exciting. Um, and like, it sounds like you're, you're going into the same place. So that'll be really cool to, to watch that take place. Um, so what would you tell somebody that's wanting to leave their nine to five that's, you know, that's interested in flipping and building up a rental portfolio. Uh, what's your advice to them on how they can successfully do what you're doing? Well, one great thing that I think about starting this on the side while you're working your nine to five, you get to kind of stick your toes in the water and see if it's something that you even like. It really is a ton of work. And having that as just a side hustle at first, you kind of get to test it out. Yeah. Maybe you don't like it. And then you still have your nine to five. You can also start where you are. I think some people think they have to have, they have to know everything before they, they buy their first property. And you really don't, you can figure a lot out as you go. I think you have to have the basic knowledge and know you can afford your payments. Absolutely. But, um, I think for the most part, if you just start where you are, you'll learn a lot as you go. Yeah, absolutely. So so how does, um, give us some tips as far as design, like how to design something that's going to be appealing to an end buyer or even a tenant. And what, what are some tips and tricks you've learned there? Like, do you leverage architects or how do you go about the design projects you're doing? Usually I'll only leverage an architect if I'm doing an addition for the most okay. part, you know, that would only, that kind of eats into our profit. So yeah. usually I don't bring in an architect, yeah. but I would just say, stay neutral. I love uh, to do a lot of unique things with tile and I always stage my home. So for a fix and flip, that makes a really big difference. You walk into a house and if it's fully staged, it just, it feels like a home. Um, I think that's been really important. 
Um, this could be a question for you, actually, because one time we had the project under contract, and I'll use a lot of my personal pieces for staging. And we had the house under contract. I took out, so I destaged it. And then the appraiser, appraiser came in and it appraised lower than we had expected. And I always thought in the back of my mind, sometimes I think an appraiser walks in and it's kind of a perceived value. This looks so great because it's staged. And then when you destage it, it just feels different. If you walked into a house and it was staged versus not being staged, would that have any effect on how you're appraising that property? So I think the textbook answer is no. I think the huh. reality answer is yes. Okay. So textbook, you're supposed to just appraise the structure and the attachments to the structure. So none of that furniture is is supposed to stay there. Right. Reality-wise, if you walk into a place and it looks just incredible, in your mind, you're gonna already you're gonna automatically be associating, okay, what are my what are the best comps in this market? I gotta find stuff that's like top end, right? Um, if you take all that out of there, you don't have all that, all that furniture in there look and perfectly placed, you know, and like, it takes away a, a little bit of the aesthetic appeal. So maybe subconsciously, it, it does hurt a little bit if it's not staged. But it shouldn't, it they should be pulling the same comps either way. Because right. the structure is what's selling not the furniture, you know, so but I would say if you have the option to leave the furniture in during the appraisal, leave it in there. Oh yeah. So. Now I, I, now I never take it out. Yeah. But. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I, this is, this is something on, I was on uh bigger pockets rookie show the other day. They did a Q and a with an appraiser and I was on there for that. And um, I, I was basically telling them like, you know, light bright, just get present yeah. it in the very best possible light, just the same as you would to an end buyer. Because the appraiser is gonna, you're gonna make an impression on them when they walk in. So, it's something that can make a difference. And I was also telling right. them if you're if you do this long enough, some of your appraisal values are gonna come in low. It happens to me, and I am an appraiser. Like, you know, I have investment properties. I'm like, these comps are solid. It's rented at this. This is what we did to it. I know it's worth this, and they'll come in five thousand dollars low. It's frustrating, mm -hmm. but it's just the nature of the game. Like sometimes it's gonna come in higher than you thought. You know, so. Yeah. And sometimes you're going to think it's, you know, your property is worth 400 and you're going to get an offer at 425 and it appraises at 425. So, you know, it's like appraisers get beat up a lot because sometimes they come in and like, you know, when the deal doesn't work out and it's the appraiser's fault, they're like this appraiser, but it's, <laughs> it's not an easy job. It's kind of a thankless job. So like, I'm looking for the day where I'm no longer doing appraisal and I'm just working with my investment properties. But, um, but yeah, like presenting your property well is a big deal. So, yeah, it is. I've even talked to an appraiser and he said, if it's, if a house smells good, it's a subconscious thing. Usually yeah. we'll, we'll end up appraising it higher. So light a good candle, put in some plugins. I don't know. Exactly right. <laughs> yeah. It smells good, yeah. cleaned up, you know, um, you know, if, if you go into a house and there's like, it's a hoarder house and magazines are piled to the ceiling and you can't see anything, it's hard to really know what you're looking at. Right. So it's highly Absolutely. unlikely you're going to get condition marked as, you know, that this, the amenities on this thing are really great because you can't see it. Right. So, right. So anyway, yeah, but, um, okay. So, so you're going to get the 10 rentals as the goal, continue the design business and then start looking for multis. What is your mm -hmm. why with all this? What are you trying to do here and what are you going for? 
Oh, that's such a good question. Um, my why is definitely for as long as I remember, I've just had an entrepreneurial spirit and to finally have something where I'm passionate about. So it truly has never felt like I've, I've had to work. Um, so that's always been, you know, just having something of my own, I guess, you know, this business means so much to me and it's something that internally I've wanted for so long. And also to have that independence, to have that financial freedom is really important to me, um, to never feel like I have to depend upon someone else and knowing that, you know, it's up to me. There's no limit I think is, is really awesome. I love that. Yeah. I'm the same way. Like I, I went from, I I mean, you may have loved your former job. I went from feeling like I was a misfit in my former job because I just, I just was not into the work. Like, Mm -hmm. um, and so I would go every day and I was thinking, I was always thinking about business thing, business ideas. I could start investment, investing in real estate, talking about investing in real estate and everybody else was on this other wavelength. And I just felt like, man, I don't know that I fit here, you know? And then when (laughs) I, and then when I started my own thing, like, I don't feel like I work now and I do this stuff all day, every day. And like, I, I wake up excited to do it. I go to, I go to sleep thinking about it and it does, it's not a burden to me at all. Like I feel very, I feel so much less stress in my life now that I'm working on my own thing, even when I've got problems to solve because they're my problems. Right. And, and I don't have somebody telling me what to do. I get to handle it the way I think it should be handled. And, you know, if somebody's upset, I deal with them myself. I'm not going through like five chains of command on everything. And, um, and, and my why is the same, like financial freedom, you know, like I want, yeah. I want time freedom. I want to be able to pursue the things that light my fire and spend time with family and be able to take time off when I want to take time off. And that's the benefit of this, like doing your own thing. And that's one reason I'm so passionate about this podcast, helping people, because you did this, you're an inspiration to people. I'm doing this for myself. Hopefully it's inspiring people. Like Pete, there are people out there right now listening to this that don't like their job, really don't like their job. They want to do something else. They like the idea of this, but they're just kind of on the fence about whether they should make the jump. And I'm, I'm just here to tell you, you can keep making money at your job or whatever it is, and you can get this started and you can transition over here eventually and do the same thing that Kara and I have done, and it will work for you as well. It's not easy. It doesn't happen overnight, but it's very possible. Absolutely. Absolutely. I have been there. Um, you know, I was at my job for five years without a single raise, <laughs> constantly getting overlooked. And, so and the frustration, oh, the frustration was, was huge. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if you, if you want to get into this industry, you absolutely can. You absolutely can. Again, I knew nothing about it when I just dove in and I'm one of those people where I, I dive and then I build the parachute as I go. (laughs) I'm the same Um, way. The same way. I'm noticing this trend with a lot of people doing this stuff as well. So (laughs) I think we're all kind of like, we did it and we just kind of figured it out as we went. And that should also be encouraging because if you have a tendency to overanalyze, um, I, I finally just came to a point where I was like, I got to do this. This is really, yeah. it's, it's kind of like, kind of like an Eminem, you know, failure's not an option. Like success is my only option here. Like I got to figure this out. And, um, so it's like, to me, it just, it just kind of came down to like, I got to do this and I got to figure it out as I go. It's not going to be easy, but I can't continue to do what I was doing. Cause it just wasn't right. working for me. So 
And there's so um, many tools out here too. You know, you can reach out to people on Instagram. You can reach out to people on bigger pockets. There's so many people that want to help you. Exactly. And maybe if you really don't have the funds to start, you can partner with someone who does exactly. have the funds and you do the heavy lifting. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a good point. So what's the best way when somebody approaches you and says, Kara, I love what you're doing. How can I help you? Like what, what's your, what's your knee jerk response to that? Like, do you, do you respond to that? Do you tell them like, what way do you want to help? Do you tell them I don't really need help right now? Or like, what's the best way for someone that's trying to learn from someone else that's approaching you off Instagram or something? What's the best way for them to do that? And actually it makes sense. You know, that's a good, that's a really good question because I've had a lot of people ask me, Oh, how can I help you? And you know, I want to make sure people are serious. So there's, it's so easy to say, Oh, how can I help? Um, usually, and I get a lot of messages. So I I actually don't respond to them all because I'm busy doing my real job as well. But, um, you know, I've had a few people who continually reach out on a daily basis. So this one, young gentleman, I I finally met up with him and super eager. And when I feel that kind of hunger, it reminds me of how I was. And he came with a notepad. He came with all of these notes to ask me questions. And those are the kind of people that I, that I do want to help. You know, I feel the passion uh, and I've been there. So I gave, I had the spreadsheet. I needed a 10 or a ton of receipts. I said, okay, here's an envelope. I probably had 200 receipts in there. I said, you can enter all of these in. And he's like, yes, that's awesome. So I said, yeah, and that will help you. You can see what I'm buying. You can see where I'm shopping. You can see the price points for it. It was a full house remodel. So, um, you know, there's ways that, that I, that's the kind of stuff I would give to them. Um, or they can come paint a house for me, but at the end of the day, I just want to make sure that they really want it. And it's not just an easy message. Hey, can I, how can I help you? Yeah. And, and then you also, you also have people that, that will say, they'll write a, you know, a three page message and say, how can you help me? And you're like, what? You know what I mean? Like, you're like, you want to help people. But if you respond to every message like that and spend an hour with each random message, it would, you wouldn't have any time to get your business done. Right. So, you know, there's, there's a balance between what you can do to help and how you go about helping. And like one way that I'm trying to help people is a free podcast, right? You're giving away all your advice right now for free. The podcast is free, but there's a, there's a point at which you can't help for free. You can't help everyone, but you can help some, and the way to approach someone that has something you want, uh, some knowledge you want, is to figure out how to add value to them without taking up a lot of their time, right? So, um, so them this this person handling, you know, entering like data entry for you is helping you, right? But it, it, like if he had come to you with that idea first, hey, I'll do data entry for you for free. Um, you don't have to, you know, and and. That might have been a different value proposition initially, whereas, you know, if you just come and say, hey, I, I want to help. How can I help? It's really nice and well received and stuff. But sometimes it's like when you've got 20 messages like that from 20 people you don't know, like you don't know what to do with it. You know what I mean? So, right. Right. Um, and sometimes if they if they ask me a question, I'm happy to answer it. You know, absolutely. If it's so, yeah. 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 And uh, you were on Bigger Pockets. What episode uh, Bigger Pockets episode were you on? Yeah, I was 367. Okay. So after your bigger pockets episode, I'm sure you got tons of messages, right? I did. And yeah. I really tried to answer them all. So I'm so sorry if I missed some of them. But yeah. <laughs> sometimes I'll even I get a lot of um 
followers asking me, how did you get started? And, I, and I'll send them to that podcast. I'll say, yeah. I really kind of dove into how I got started on that yeah. episode. So yeah. Yeah, I was on episode 382. There were two episodes there. I listened to them both. Oh, yeah, they yeah, were great. Thanks. I heard yours too. Yours was awesome. <laughs> um, and and I made it a goal after my episode to respond to every person that messaged me. And it was like three weeks of like <laughs> me losing my mind trying to respond. <laughs> but I'm really glad I did because I made some really great connections with some people from that that were really great. But it's like as it's as it's kind of continued, like it's getting harder and harder to respond to everyone. And, and some of the, some of the requests are just kind of very vague and, and, um, and I'm like, I don't know how to best help, you know? So Mm -hmm. I'm always interested in people that are, are building their Instagram following and stuff, how they're handling that as well. And I've heard Brandon talk about that too, but it's like, I always want to help, but I always want to balance that with what's productive and stuff on on this thing. Cause I got to make a living as well. So, um, well, very cool. So you got any books you'd recommend people checking out or, um, like anything you're reading right now? Oh, that's, that's a great question. I not to put you on the spot. Listen, I know, I know. <laughs> I've been listening to a lot of podcasts. So the last, oh, well, book, let's do this then. Let's do this then. What are, what are three of your favorite podcasts besides bigger pockets? So I love Ed Milet. Um, that's a great podcast and I love to listen to, uh, Guy Raz is a host, um, how I built this. Okay. So that's a lot of entrepreneurs and you have definitely heard of all of the companies of the entrepreneurs that have been on there. Super interesting. I just think the entrepreneur mindset is so interesting. Yeah. And um, so those are my two go-tos besides okay. bigger pockets. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Well, this has been awesome. I really appreciate all your time and stuff. And yeah, it's been so cool keeping up with you on Instagram. Please continue to put out great content. Let's do another section here where people can figure out where they can connect with you and and observe your work and stuff. Yeah, again, on Instagram at Beckman House is my Instagram handle. And I try to answer as many messages that I can. Um, And then I also, if you comment on my posts, I usually get back to the comments as well. Sweet. So. Sweet. Awesome. Yeah. Well, hey, let's keep in touch. Hopefully, um, hopefully at some point when I'm building an apartment complex, I'm going to leverage your design knowledge because it will Definitely. go much further than mine will on its own. So yeah, this has been <laughs> awesome, Kara. Great. Thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Yeah, you too. Thank you so much. Absolutely. All right. Bye. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please connect with me on Instagram at Daily Real Estate Investor or via email at josiasmelser at gmail.com. My new book titled Dream It and Build It, How to Crush Your Real Estate Investing Goals is out. You can get it either in digital or physical format on Amazon. Once you've read the book, please leave me a review. Tune in next time for another episode of The Daily Real Estate Investor as we both join in our financial freedom journey.